Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Worship team, uh, stay up here just for a moment. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Jeremy, uh, do you ever leave wondering, did our contribution make any difference at all? Um, last week, Sarah, now I told her this in the last service and she started crying. So don't start crying this. No, you've already started. Oh my, uh, I'm not gonna look at you. Um, last week, Sarah, the song Waymaker, you sang it, you led us in it. Uh, every single day this week, that song has been bubbling up in my heart. And I woke up this morning to that song. So thank you guys very much. Let's thank the worship team. They do a super job. Thank you. Well, as, as Tag mentioned uh, earlier in the service, the pastor is launching us into a new series uh, beginning this week. He asked if I would, I would kick it off. It's called Being in the Game or Get in the Game. And so it made me think initially of our children growing up, getting involved in sports, getting in the game, and particularly t-ball, my most favorite spectator sport in the world. My oldest one, David, you know, he would be on outfield. Uh, he wasn't a great baseball player, great runners um, on a couple state championship uh, cross-country teams. But when he's playing t-ball, he'd be on outfield, sitting down, glove off, playing with the clover. And he's my firstborn. So what am I doing? David, get in the game. David, pay attention. By the time number four, Stephen, glove off, out in the outfield, sitting like sitting with his legs crossed, playing with the coat clover, I'm thinking, this is an awesome sport. I love this. This is let's get some video of that right there. Oh, look at that one. He's gonna love this in about 20 years. So, and when they're that young, that's what we expect. And they're just having fun. It's we're the ones with problems. Now, let's say. My boys grow up and their college potential and they played on a team yesterday, one of the football teams, the college game. And let's say they played for Clemson because I'm an ACC guy. I didn't go to Clemson. I'm an ACC guy. I, I went to an institute in Atlanta. And so <clears throat> I didn't get to go to college. So, and his name's Trevor and he's on the football field, legs crossed, playing with Clover. Do you think the coach would be going, oh, that's so cute. I want to get a little video. This is so precious. What a wonderful sport this is. No, he'd be going, what are you doing? Now, how does that apply to us? If you're brand new to this game called following Jesus Christ with all of your heart and first um, talk in this series, pastor said, would you talk about read your Bible? Read your Bible. That's, that's going to be the first talk. Read your Bible. We can't be in the game unless we're reading our Bibles. Would you talk about that? I said, oh, I'd, glad, I'd love, I'd be glad to talk about that. Now, if, if you're just starting in the game and you're not reading your Bible, no problem. Clover's fun. But if you've been following Jesus for a number of years, 
and you're still playing with the clover? You're not really in the game? Well, you know, hey, it's time. We need to grow up and we can't grow up. We can't get in the game unless we're reading our Bibles. So this morning, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. If you have your hard copy Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. If you have your phones, I want you, I want everybody, if you don't have your Bible, pull out your phone, download version right now if you don't have it on your, on your phone. It's a free app. By the time I read these verses, you'll already have it downloaded. I just heard one ding, so that, we're already there. And, and I want you to open up notes on your phone because I want you to take some notes on your phone. We, we, with COVID, we never put pens out anymore. So you, know, you might want to pull out notes on your Bible, I mean, on your phone and take notes as we go through here. Now, these two verses are going to give us three reasons why we should read our Bibles and that, help, that will help us get in the game called following Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. So here are the two verses, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, woman of God, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, these two verses give us three reasons why we should read our Bibles. Let's look at the first reason. I want you to circle the word inspired. All scripture is inspired by God. Circle that word inspired. Now, when it comes to, now I'm going to use an adjective, conservative followers of Christ. I'll come back and define that in just a second. When it comes to conservative followers of Christ, conservative Christians, there are several words that we consider very important when it comes to this book right here, our Bibles. And the first one, I'm going to save inspired for just a second. But the first word is the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. What does that mean? This book is the authority for what I believe and how I live. Now, why, why, should, this, why should a book, why should words on paper have authority over my life? Well, there's another word. It's called the revelation of Scripture. Revelation. Now, what does revelation mean? God has revealed himself. You know, he's, he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, he's eternal, but he's invisible. So, so how do we know who this God is and what kind of God he is? Well, he's revealed himself in three main ways. In creation, in his son Jesus, and in this book right here, the scripture. Now, that word conservative. There are conservative followers of Christ and are liberal followers of Christ. And that has to do with theology. And so conservative theology means we believe the revelation of God's word has authority over our minds and our reason. Liberal theology believes that if there's something in Scripture we don't understand, it becomes subordinate 
to our minds and our reason. Here at this church, our pastor teaches us conservative theology, that this book is the authority. God has revealed himself to us, and if we don't understand something, we need to submit, submit our minds, our reason, our lives, our action, our responses, our behavior to this book, because it's the authority. Now, as he's revealed himself to us, here's a third word, inerrancy. There's the inerrancy of scripture. Well, what does that mean? It means, here's the definition. I'll get a little technical. It means it is without error in its original autographs. Well, what does that mean? It means we, do no, we no longer have the original parchments that the scribe or the prophet wrote. They disappeared. They disintegrated, perhaps. Or maybe one day we'll find a cache somewhere and we go, ah, here are the originals. But we don't have them. So there are some places in this book that what we have is like, that's, that's not right. Now, don't, don't panic. Okay, just think. Mark chapter 2, the very end, Jesus is, uh, as he's passing through the grain fields, his disciples are picking the grains of wheat to eat. And the Pharisees say, hey, why are they picking grains of wheat on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, well, you don't, you remember David during the time of Abiathar, the high priest, you remember Abiathar, right? I'm just, just reminding you, Abiathar, the high priest, how David entered in and ate the, the bread, which is not um, allowed for anyone to eat except for the priest. And he gave it to those who were with him. And then he goes on to say, the Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, if you go to that passage in 1 Samuel chapter 21, probably the first part of the chapter, you will recall, I'm just reminding you, that Abiathar was not the high priest. Who was? You know, Ahimelech, of, co of course, Ahimelech was. Now, so is it Ahimelech or is it Abiathar? Well, in your margin, it'll say, hey, you know, there's a discrepancy. Why is there a discrepancy? I thought you said it was without error. Well, we have to recall, they didn't have photocopy machines back then. How did we have the scripture transmitted to us generation after generation after generation? Scribes copied it. So you can imagine, here's a scribe. He's got two kids with COVID. His wife is working a second job to make ends meet. And he's been up milking the cows and taking care of the sheep and taking care of the kids and taking care of his wife. And he has a chapter due. They didn't have chapters, divisions until the 12th century AD, but just follow with me here for a second. So he's got to submit a new chapter and his eyes get a little blurry, maybe a little crossed. He's exhausted. They didn't pay the power bill. So the electric lights are, they didn't have electricity. So, and he makes a scribal error because in Sunday school, they've been studying a biathar, not a Himalek. And instead of writing a Himalek, he writes a biathar. He messes up. 
And as we get older and older manuscripts, archaeology finding these, we can go, aha, this manuscript's older and it does say Ahimelech. So we can relax. Every archaeological find discovered strengthens this book. So we like to say it is without error in the original autographs, in the original parchments. You with me? All right, that brings us to this other word, inspired. What does inspired mean? I like for scripture to explain itself. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. This is a great definition of inspiration. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, know this first of all, not second of all, know this first of all. This means this is really, really important. This is primary. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made by man. But men, it's from man, but doesn't originate with man. Where does it originate? The scriptures. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke, that's that word, breathed, inspired, spoke from God. So God, through the Holy Spirit, moved in men to write down a revelation of who God is and what God wants that's inerrant without error in its original autographs and has authority over us. We don't put us over it because there's some things I don't really like. I like it when it says Debbie's supposed to serve me. I don't like it when I'm supposed to serve somebody and it's not convenient. I mean, if it's convenient, yeah, I'm fine with that. But if I don't agree with it or it's inconvenient, it doesn't make a difference. Because it has authority over me. So why should we read the Bible? Number one, because of the inspiration of Scripture. Number two, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for four things. Here's the second reason why we should read God's Word. Get in the game by reading God's Word. Because of the impact of God's Word. The impact. It says, this book is profitable for four things. I'm going to put a little path up here. This is this game of, uh, that we're in, it's, it's a path that we're to follow Jesus Christ. And this book tells me, it teaches me the path I am to walk on. But it goes further. Sometimes I kind of go my own way. And it says, whoa, time out, time out. It reproves me. It says, wait a second. Look, you, you are getting off the path. You're heading in a direction that is not wise. It is not good. It is not profitable. But it just doesn't warn me or approve me. It then corrects me so I can get back on the path. And the scripture says, now, now that I have your attention, let me show you what you need to do to get back following Jesus Christ. But there's a fourth way it's profitable and impacts my life. Then it trains me in that path of righteousness for the training of righteousness. 
So it teaches me the path I'm to walk on. It reproves me when I get off the path. It corrects me to get back on the path. And then there's, it trains me to stay on the path. Now, let's, let's, let's take a contemporary issue in our society, racial tensions, and let's see how Scripture speaks to this. Now, let me explain something. There are two major worldviews. I mean, there are several worldviews, but for us, there are two major worldviews. There's the secular worldview that we get particularly from the media. And it says, this is what you should value. This is what you should believe. This is how you should act. As a matter of fact, worldviews, they start. It's beliefs, values, feelings, behavior. There are these various levels. But there's a biblical worldview that we get from this inspired book, the Word of God. And it says, no, this is not how you should view life. But here's how you should view life. And let me, let me give you right off the bat where I'm coming from with my relationships with African Americans. Just last week, my wife, she's left me. Um, she's with three grandchildren. And uh, she's helping the grandchildren while our oldest daughter takes care of a wedding. And the wedding was over yesterday. You'd think she'd be on the road today to come take care of me. Um, she's not. Um, you can pray for her that she'd have a biblical worldview. And, or maybe that I wouldn't have a secular, self-centered, selfish worldview. All right. So she taught a Bible study of African-American ladies up in Charlotte. Yesterday, a week ago, so Saturday, a week ago, I had the privilege of training 35 African-American ministers. There's good relationships. So we often have the opportunity to be in predominantly black churches. I like that. I love that. I'm here because Don's been my pastor almost a decade before I even joined this church. I'm here because of Don and a couple of you. All right. So what does the Bible teach What's the biblical worldview about the racial tensions we're experiencing today? Let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 14. I love this verse. When I saw this verse, it was right in the middle of all this, and I thought, oh my, if we only, if we only understood this verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. He, the he there, is Jesus. He himself is our peace. Our, plural. Catch that. He, Jesus, is our, plural, peace, who made, look here, please, both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So let me give you the context of this verse. Whenever we study scripture, context is king. What's the context? In this verse, in this book, Paul's talking to the Ephesians. The Ephesians were Gentiles. And in, in that biblical era, that time when Paul's writing, the Jews, this group, hated the Gentiles, this group. Now, if somebody hates you, what's your natural response? You hate me? I hate you. Right? So, 
The Jews hate the Gentiles. Well, the Gentiles hate the Jews. And so they're not getting along with each other. And Paul says, wait a second. Let me explain the biblical worldview. Let me teach you the path to walk on. He, Jesus, not only broke down the ceiling that was keeping us from God. He destroyed the ceiling. So now vertically we have access to God. And Ephesians says, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. We have access this way. He said, not only did he do that, but he also broke down this barrier between us's and them's. Well, now what's the application today? Then it was Jews and Gentiles. Today, it's often blacks and whites. Now, I don't think it's quite as much tension as the media makes it out. It's usually never as good as you hear it is or as bad as you hear it is. But Jesus, he made access for black believers and access for white believers. He didn't just break down the ceiling. He broke down the wall. So he himself is our peace who made both groups into one. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now, if that's the teaching of God's word, and that's the path we as followers of Christ should be walking. What about when we're starting veering off the path? How does scripture reprove us? Look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Just flip there, look in your phone. If you downloaded it, just keep scrolling. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. It says, but let... No, but let not bitterness or wrath or anger or clamor or slander. Um, be put away from you and let, oh, that's it. And let, and let all bitterness, wrath, anger, uh, clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Put it away from you. So here's the reproof. When you see the news, are you getting bitter on the inside toward those folks? Is there wrath coming up inside of you? Anger? Do you want to do malice? He said, oh, put that away from you. Put that. That does not ever need to be descriptive of followers of Christ. So the Holy Spirit through the scriptures reproves us. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Well, which way should I go? Look at the next verse. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also forgave you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice as a fragrant aroma. Let me ask you, have, have you ever offended God 
Here's the answer. Mm -hmm. Do you want him to forgive you? Well, of course. What does that verse say? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, you are to forgive them. Be kind with tenderhearted, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God also in Christ has forgiven you. Now, imagine this. God, please forgive me. I will never forgive you. That just, that's not a biblical worldview. It, 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 it doesn't fit. So, okay, Lord, in my heart of hearts, I want to get back on the path and I'll be kind to other people. I'll be tenderhearted. I'll forgive. Here's what I've noticed in the last few months. I've noticed that many, many black followers of Christ are going out of their way to show me that they love me. Have you noticed that? I think the longer this thing goes, there's going to be a differentiation of biblical worldview and a secular worldview. This is going to create more hate, malice, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. But we Christians are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be like Christ. And the more we're kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, light shines more and more brightly. And over here, darkness gets darker and darker. And when that difference is manifested, people will be drawn to the light. And they'll say, I used to be involved in this. It's just a downward spiral. I want to be a part of something different that changes people from the inside out. All right, so correction. I need to be kind to one of the tenderhearted. So what's the training in righteousness? Look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 5, Ephesians, chapter 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. And then he de defines us. As beloved children, we are sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. And we need to act on the outside like who we are on the inside. I'm a son of God. I need to act on the outside like who I am on the inside. This is my position. So my practice, I need to imitate God. And so that imitation is I'm going to love people. Verse 2. Just as Christ has loved me and gave himself up as an offering and sacrifice. So that, the wall's been broken down. He's made the two groups into one. Because God's loved me, God's forgiven me, I need to love my brothers and sisters. I need to forgive them. I need to be kind. I need to be tenderhearted. That's scripture. It impacts our life. All right. So we're talking about this series, Getting in the Game. First is on, we need to read the Bible. Well, why read the Bible, Pastor? You want us to read the Bible? Why read the Bible? Reason number one, this book right here is inspired. Reason number two, 
This book right here will impact our lives. But there's a third reason. And I like to call it the invitation of God's word. Look at verse 17. It says, this book will teach, reprove, correct, train in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let me ask you this. How many of your husbands that need to be equipped for your relationship with your wife? For your wife, you need to be equipped for every good work for your husband or your father. And, and, and you want to care for your children. You want to point them in a direction to follow God. You want them to live a successful life, not making an income, but making an impact on the world for Jesus. Or you're a mother or your grandmother, and, and you have these duties, these callings, these responsibilities from God, and you think, well, I'm not sure what to do, but I want to make a difference. I want to be used by God. I want to be influential in their lives and point them in a great direction. I want to influence the people in my sphere of influence for God. Well, then you need to be equipped. Now, I don't know why New American Standard, that's the version that, that I'm using this morning, the translation. I don't know why it uses the word adequate, that the man of God may be adequate. Like you go home and your wife uh, has spent several hours cooking the Sunday evening dinner and you have family over and uh, some maybe some neighbors and it's all spread out there on the table and everybody eats and they go home and we're cleaning up and your wife turns to you and she says, well, well how was it? And you go, it was adequate. Uh, wrong answer. That's the wrong connotation. This verse, I don't know why they use that word, but that, that word has different connotations. And that word means complete. It's, it's, it's complete. Um, uh, let's say it's, it's fantastic. Okay. It was tremendous. So, but let's, since it says adequate, let's put the focus on the next phrase. Maybe adequate, equipped for every good work. How does the Bible equip us for every good work. Well, the pastor asked me to talk on reading, but since the pastor's not here, I'm going to talk a little bit more than just reading. And I want to give you five ways to get a grip on this book right here. Five ways to get a grip on this book. The first way is by hearing it. Second way is reading it, but the first way is by hearing it. You're hearing the scriptures taught this morning. Now, that is a weak finger. Revelation chapter one, verse, verse three says, um, blessed is the one who reads this prophecy and those who hear. You are hearing it this morning. And Lord willing, you will be blessed in some way. But if that's all you do, that is a very weak finger to get a grip on scripture. So you need to read it. You need to go home and read it every single day. If you read it, you're getting into it more deeply. And it's day by day, not if I just eat once a week, I'm in trouble. So I want to eat every day. It reminds me of a verse. What is that? Uh, Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found and I ate them and thy words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I've been called by thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. So we need to eat the word through reading it every day. That's a stronger finger. But there's an even stronger finger. And you need to step up and go another level. And that's studying the scripture. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, 
Be diligent to present yourself approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. You can't handle this thing accurately without studying it. Now, what's the difference in reading and studying the word of God? When it comes to reading, we cover a lot of verses in a short amount of time. When it comes to studying, we cover a few verses in a long period of time. So, some of you have uh, gotten those books that um, Tag held up. Here's the whole Bible. Five pairs of opposite words. Nothing, something, exiting, entering, united, divided, scattered, gathered, coming, going. God creates the human race out of nothing, turns the Hebrew race into something of great size and significance. They exit Egypt. They enter Canaan. The united kings stand. The divided kings fall. He scatters them to Babylon, gathers them back to Judah. Four and a half centuries of silence, New Testament, coming of Christ and the going of the church. That's the whole Bible. I didn't get that by just reading it. I had to take some time and study it, right? That's a stronger finger. There's an even stronger one, memorization. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word I've hid in my heart so I may not sin against thee. I know it by heart. We want to learn it by heart. Right now, what I'm memorizing is Ephesians. And so, uh, there's my little bitty, that's my real Bible in the seat over there. It's a little bitty Bible. And this is just a photocopy. And so when the day slows down and I get a second, I'll pull it out and I'll say, okay, do I have that verse down yet? Nope, not quite. Let me work a little bit more on it. I think I have it now. Nope, I don't have it. Let me work a little bit more. I got it. And then I go to the next verse. So I started back in June. Right now I'm in chapter 5. I hope to be done by Thanksgiving. And I love to take these little bitty books of the Bible, just memorize them. Then when I'm driving in the car, I'm going through my scripture memory, letting it wash over my heart. Memorization. Now, I can hear it, read it, study it, and memorize it, but it's kind of hard keeping that scripture, keeping a grip on it. There's a fifth. And if you don't have the thumb, it doesn't matter how much of these other four you do, you just don't really get a grip. The first four have to do with information. This one has to do with transformation. This one's meditation. I think the verse that we put on the screen is Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. But I really like, I'm going to give you a different one that's been on my heart this morning. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful. Here's the key. Careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way um, prosperous, and then you will have success. So, it's not financial success. It's life success from a biblical worldview. So, if this is information, this is transformation. If these are for my head, this is for my heart. So, I must hear it and then meditate on it. I must read it and then meditate on it. I must study it and then meditate on it. I must memorize it but meditate on it. Now, the pastor and I 
talked about giving you a resource. It's free. You pick it up. Um, there's some on that table and some on that table. And it's what I call prayer books. A friend named Tobin Castles and I put this together 13 years ago. And in this notebook, there's some pages to help you organize your prayer life. But let's put up on the screen, please. There's a section where you can read. So if you look on the, up there, say Monday on the left, the passage. So right now I'm in Genesis. I would write down Genesis chapter 44 and 45. And then I'd put the date, October the 4th. And then I'd write down the summary of the best things that I marked as I was reading through the scripture. And then I want to I make it practical, though. I want to spend some time meditating on it. So then I fell out that little second part. And then you can glance and you can tell. And I, uh, Tobin and I put Sunday, Saturday and Sunday together. That gives us one day uh, in case something comes up. Sundays are usually very, very crammed. So if you would like, this would really help you see where you're the consistency of feeding upon God's Word as you read it. Now, let me say this. <clears throat> don't, don't wait till January 1st to start reading through your Bible. And don't start in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, don't start with the book of Revelation. Start anywhere between Matthew and Jude. And if you want to start in the Psalms in the Old Testament or Proverbs, that's fine. If you're not quite sure where to start, ask the pastor, ask one of the ministers here at the church, email me, call me, and we'll get you going. This tends to be a very good tool and increases consistency. So, we're starting a new series. Let's get in the game. Let's quit playing with the clover. The introductory talk. Let's read our Bibles. I gave you three reasons this morning from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, why we should read our Bibles. What was the first one? This book is what? That's right, inspired. What's the second one? It's going to impact our lives by teaching us, reproving us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. And the third reason, it invites us. You get consistent reading your Bible and meditating. That's the key. Meditating on it. Just thinking through how this applies to my life then you will be adequate, the good adequate, not the eh, adequate, but yeah, great adequate and equipped for every good work. Let's pray.